You're listening to And what is poppin' everybody? Welcome to the Good Pop Culture Club, episode 151. My name is Marvin Yuan, and joining me as always to talk about all the good pop that gets us through our days. We have the once in future self-proclaimed professional Asian-American Jess Jew. Marvin, it's our month! Woo! <laughs> I feel the power. My crystals are recharging. I'm super saiyan charging up. Our 11-month existential crisis has now ended because we now exist. Now we now we are certain again. that we exist in this mm-hmm. world. Mm-hmm. Oh my god, all of these social media posts from all these corporations congratulating us. Right, because if we don't exist in the eyes of corporate America, do we exist at all? No, we're a capitalist. We're we're <laughs> three companies. America's three companies in a trench coat. So, <laughs> and those three companies like Coke Disney and Google? I don't know. I don't even know what the last one is. But yeah, three three companies in a trench coat with a Gucci belt. Wait, Tesla's not one of our companies? I, I feel like there's no company that better exemplifies Americanness than Tesla slash Twitter. Slash like things are bur- literally burning, but everyone's like, I don't care. It looks kind of cool. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> also joining us for the first time in Asian month, um, professional culture editor Han Win. Hi. Hey, hey. How are I'm you? Having... I mean, as a professional culture editor, this is the one month where you can write about anything you want as long as it's Asian, right? Right, right. And there's uh, an embarrassment of riches when it comes to the content this month. And so that I'm actually having kind of an, a crisis of like, how do I cover this? Because of course the perfect person would be me to write it, but I don't have the time. <laughs> so it's kind of like, what can I like, you know, dole out? What can I do myself? Where can I bend time and space to find time to do this stuff? Yeah, um, I've always yeah. wondered during this month as like one of the, I'm assuming one of the few Asian people in your entire masthead, like, are you being pulled into other verticals to write their Asian stories as well? No, no. I mean, that's the one thing I will say is for the most part, um, I'm not called on to be the Asian. Um, <laughs> I put the pressure more on myself because culture i think is probably one of the better verticals to be talking about this obviously there are other things that we could be doing like we could talk about asian american mental health for the health and science vertical um but i think they're not going to touch that basically (laughs) um unless they have an expert technically Um, it's is it is also mental health mental health it is that who cares there's nothing more asian than pretending it doesn't exist exactly but i do have to say that the uh, news and politics vertical does uh cover certain asian american things when it is significant so and, and unfortunately it's the sad stuff so um yeah anyway so it's usually all on me for culture <laughs> <laughs> i mean technically they have a it writes itself um, story in Kamala Harris being in office during APAM, but I feel like those yes. stories have already been written. Yeah, I did, I did yeah, get, yeah. We don't I get need the, to. I did get an email from her office so uh, proclaiming oh. Asian Pacific American Heritage Month. That's good of them. Yeah, and and it's That's no. <laughs> that, it's also no uh, accident that one of the junior writers on the Culture Vertical and the intern are both Asian, um, <laughs> because I picked them. So uh, yeah. yeah. Well, even though it is Asian month, it's also strike month. Um, 
the Writers Guild has gone on strike for the first time since when was the last one was like 2007 2007 yeah. and that's yeah. when we got Donald Trump so yeah let's end the strike soon fam yeah yeah because of the increase in uh unscripted that stuff. was when tv made celebrity to mm-hmm. yes reality, reality TV. tv yep mm-hmm. what a dark time do you remember second do you remember the second season of heroes so bad <laughs> or like was it the third season of friday night lights where like you you could definitely tell when the writer strike happened mm-hmm. wasn't this when we also lost conan from the tonight show or yeah, no, yeah that, he, oh, was well, that the I just remember him uh, because we posted this. He he did something where uh, I mean he paid for his staff. I remember that part, right? Yeah, like he, yeah. He footed the bill for his staff for as long as he, he could. He, he did his own thing. Yeah. Um, and I think he was also still running it, but without writers, so everybody else would still get paid, and was just doing like random shit. Yeah, like he was playing air. playing guitar while other people were playing a rock band. Um, <laughs> there, there, there are clips out there, so you can hey, you can check it out. These days, we call that a Twitch stream. Yes, yes. Um, but I was also, you know, a journalist during that time, so I still remember those dark days <laughs> of like, what are we going to cover? <laughs> I I feel for all my writer friends, and of course, um, many TCA members are uh, going to be affected. Um, so we don't even know if there's going to be a TCA this summer. Um, I am also a WGA member, but I'm not that kind of writer. So my job isn't like at risk. But um, yeah, it, it's mainly about like supporting everyone and not, you know, being scabs because there are certain productions that are still going to be going on. Um, they're the ones like on Fox News. So uh, don't watch those. Uh, not that you would anyway, hopefully. Don't um, scab, y'all. Yeah, so don't scab. But most for the most part, you probably won't. Um, just, you know, just kind of be aware which which are these shows that are going to continue, even though they shouldn't. I mean, the last strike took, what, like almost like more than days. three months, right? Yeah. Yeah. Like yeah. I think if this strike goes on for for <sighs> for a while, um, it might be cool to bring on some people just to talk about what's going on because I feel like just the public knowledge of what strikes actually are. Like mm-hmm. I have so many friends who just don't know what they are. Well, I mean, so many do. people don't even know like the system and why this is necessary, um, and it's because they only see the glamorous, right, and the successful, and they're like. But like, no, the, a lot of writers are not making enough to live, especially in Los Angeles, which is a very expensive city. Yeah. And, and it's, it's not it's like shitty. there's no, yeah, and it's not like there's no money for it. There's definitely money yes. for it. It's just. Someone put it really well. They're like trying to gig, econ- make writing a gig economy. And I am just anti that. I'm anti making any union labor or industry weaker on the worker side because I watched Bugs Life as a child. <laughs> and also my mom, also in a union family, but more so I think Bugs Life. Um, so, you know, don't be the grasshopper. Be the ant. You know, <laughs> I've never watched a Bugs Life. I did not realize it's it really good. It's, <laughs> no, it's about collective power. Although <laughs> very explicitly. Although this this came out during the same time as ants. And I remember, I think, is it Bugs Life that they're missing some legs? I Is don't right? remember, but Ants has Woody <laughs> Allen, so that's yeah, already that's a no-go for me. It's so. also ugly. Yeah. The Ants and Bugs Life are cute. It's a, it's David Spade. Not <laughs> Wait, is it David Spade? 
Mm. I forgot. But Julie Louise Dreyfus. Um, so it's fun. You should watch it, Marvin. It's on Disney Plus, which, you know, before they, we have to all cancel all of our streamers, you should watch it. Yeah. Well, good pop culture club. Decidedly pro-union. Uh, we're on the side of the writers. Um, definitely just just pay Pay, pay your work. workers. Doesn't matter what industry it's, you're it's in. Simple. Pay your workers. Huh. Speaking as to probably three people who have been underpaid their entire <laughs> lives. <laughs> so. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Ouch. Oh, you had to stab me like that. <laughs> oh, that was a good segue, though. Yes. Good job, Marvin. Huh. Well, moving on from labor and strikes to, I guess, Desi Weddings and Martial Arts. On this episode, we're talking about Nita Manzur's new film, Polite Society, um, that's in theaters now. But before we get to that, let's find out what pop culture has been getting us through this week. Uh, Jess, let's start with you. What's popping? Well, speaking of people who never need to strike, Monday was also the first Monday in May, which is the Met Gala. The Super Bowl of fashion, they call it. Definitely the biggest fashion red carpet in the United States. Um, it is, I will remind people, I'll do my you know disclaimer, it is a charity event to raise money for the Costume Institute, which is part of the Metropolitan Museum of Art. So, you know, I respect my fellow non-profit workers you know they're raising money but we're all here for the fashion the crazy fashion um which usually goes around the theme this year's theme was pretty controversial if you mm-hmm. were not aware marvin because it this shocker the met gala theme being well, sometimes the met, no, sometimes the met gala theme is just dumb or like not interesting but this one was like controversial because it was uh, the theme is basically based off the exhibit so they programmed the exhibit around Carl Lagerfeld, the former head of Chanel, creative director of Chanel, who is like known bigot, known fat phobic, known kind of just like kind of a gross dude, like to not believe in me too. Um, Some people were like very rightfully like outspoken about like there's so much more interesting from a fashion point, better people to honor um one being andre talley leon who also recently just passed a long time uh former associate editor of vogue um who was you know one of the few visible black queer men in fashion high fashion especially for his time and who very famously had like a weird falling out with anna wintour but of course anna wintour is the head of the board that runs the Met Gala. I don't exactly know, but we're here to talk about fashion. It was very Chanel-y, a lot of tweed, um, some good looks, some bad looks, but worse than bad looks, some boring looks, and odd number of cats, because I don't know if you know this, Marvin, he was obsessed with his little cat, white cat named Chopet, who he left part of his estate to. This cat is richer wow. than all of us. Yeah. So, yeah. <laughs> so how how did these cats uh, manifest? Please explain. <laughs> well, Doja Cat came with very sleek cat-like prosthetics. Very Hunger Games-esque, but like still in couture. <laughs> and then we have like Jared Leto, who literally just came in a full-ass furry <laughs> suit. Like, looked like a cat. That was creepy. It was like... Like from Cats the no, Maze like better. He came, he came, like he came like... <laughs> Like as a very realistic looking bipedal cat costume. It was kind of creepy. 
it gave me Uncanny Valley. But also, like, Jared Leto is creepy. So, like, it kind of fits. I think that may be a step too far into stunt dressing. Um, I loved... Oh, Anne Hathaway looked fantastic. Um, Her stylist, Erin Walsh, has really given her, like, a new life. I feel like she's having so much more fun. She looks super fucking hot. Um, Like, hot. Like, which I feel like Anne Hathaway's (laughs) initial image was, like, not hot, but, like, theater kiddish, right? Mm -hmm. Like, theater kid energy. (laughs) So, great rebrand. And um, my favorite looks, though, were the people who were, like, low-key dissing Karl Lagerfeld. Yes. So it's on the record that Karl Lagerfeld had hated the color pink. So Harvey Gillian, who plays mm-hmm. Guillermo in What We Do in the Shadows, came in this very loud, elaborate pink suit set. And of course, Harry Gillian is a you know a a, a bigger person. So I was just like, that just seemed like a big fuck you to Karl Lagerfeld, and I love that. Viola Davis also came in all pink. And um, Michaela Cole, who Mm -hmm. was a co-chair of this year's event, came in Scaparelli, which another thing about (laughs) the lore of Chanel, particularly, who was a Nazi sympathizer slash Nazi, by the way, hated uh, (laughs) Elsa Scaparelli, who they were contemporaries and both very like just kind of 180 in terms of like their approach to fashion. Chanel was like about minimalism and like chicness and like very like like if you've seen a Chanel suit or like a Chanel piece, you would I think today a lot of people would call it stuffy. Um mm-hmm. Chanel is also notorious in the recent years as just like being a terrible fashion house. Like they've just been like bombing it. So they have all these ambassadors like celebrity ambassadors who are contractually obligated to wear Chanel on the red carpet. And they always look terrible. Most prominent is probably Margot Robbie. And everyone's really fucking sad. Cause they're like, Margot Robbie is a beautiful skinny blonde woman who wears clothes like a workhorse. She has a Barbie tour coming. We want everything to be fabulous and all pink and for her to serve looks, but she's obligated to wear Chanel and everyone's like, God damn it. Fuck you, Chanel. Mm-hmm. So anyways, Michaela Cole wore <laughs> Scaparelli, beautiful gown, beautiful mm-hmm. dress very surrealist, like highlighting body parts um, in like very strange and interesting ways. So love those looks of the night. The Jenners were there. They were all born. Ke- the Kardashian Jenners. There was like big hoopla about whether or not they would be invited now. I'm like, whatever. They're all boring. Um, and yeah, you know, it is like very, it's, it's celebrities doing their part of the social contract, which is giving us shit to look and criticize. I still think they could do better. I still think they could serve more. But you know what? It's fine. It's an American red carpet. We're not that interested. Uh, but I do like uh, I do like the uh, middle finger sort of dressing towards the theme. Yeah. That's, and of that's course, probably... the Twitter conversations around Met Gala are always fun. Mm-hmm. Oh, did you uh, did you catch the cockroach? There was a cockroach that came <laughs> on the carpet. It was like a white carpet. Someone called the some car the carpet a Dixie cup. Mm-hmm. That was fun because it had this like weird swirly pattern on it. Um, so you know that's always fun. The the internet discourse around it, regardless yeah. of the looks. Yeah, you just share that sort of on the internet with other people. So mm-hmm. well, I totally missed this whole thing. So uh, thanks for the update. <laughs> I was 
Yeah. You're missing out. Is fashion not your passion, Marvin? I was also super tired from That's this past true. weekend where um, you both were at my wedding which reception. Was, it was great. Is, um, <laughs> I ate so much barbecue. I had like a barbecue oh. hangover. I woke up and like my mouth was like, <laughs> oh my God, so, like salt, so, like so dehydrated because I'm like, oh, I drink so much beer and I ate so much barbecue. It was great. So, you know, I was just totally drain was still you know entertaining family so the met gala just totally <laughs> passed me by no regrets it's really right. han what's popping with you uh so i saw a screening of guardians of the galaxy volume three uh by the time you hear this Ooh. it will be in theaters um what can i say about this uh it is better than quantum mania <laughs> <laughs> I mean, the bar is not, not high to clear. Not. Yeah. yeah. I mean, this is not to diss the movie. It, it's but it is um, it was a lot of people are raving about how emotional it was. And that is very true. The You get the backstory of Rocket Raccoon. And I'm just going to tell you, like this, it got me because, you know, he's a talking raccoon. So you kind of find out why he's a talking raccoon and that, you know, like. It it means that there's other cute animals that you see talking. And, you know, of course, it's a sad history. So there's just stuff that goes down that I was like, <sighs> I'm not ready for this. Um, so, like, I was seeing it with my uh, friend Angie Han. And the whole time I was like, no, don't. Um, uh, there are also some other uh, uh, big themes going on. It, it was humorous. Um, but it was also in some ways... Uh, I don't want to say overlong, but also, you know how, I don't know if you saw um, Thor Love and Thunder, but you know how there was a big uh, plot line with kids in it. So I feel like this is kind of doing the same thing that they're trying to usher in the next generation of Marvel um, viewers by appealing to kids. So A, there are some kids in this movie, but then also B, there are, all, are cute animals. Um, so, uh, yeah, so it kind of had a different vibe to it than the usual, like the, uh, the usual Guardians of the Galaxy volumes. Um, there were, of course, playlists or mixtapes, um, but they didn't just get stuck in the 80s. So they moved it up to like the 90s and you even hear like a 2000 song by the end. Um, but yeah, that's you know. vintage now. I feel like that kind of betrays the yeah, spirit yeah. of Guardians because we have a 90s film. It was yeah, yeah. I mean, it's Captain it, Marvel. Oh wait, Ms. Marvel was the show. TV show. Yeah, the TV show. But you know what? It's James Gunn. He's actually pretty fun. You know, he keeps the energy up. Um, but it does. It did feel like a kind of a mess. Like this phase feels messy. Um, but yeah. Anyway, <laughs> uh, most people are going to like it. It's it's not as bad as Quantum Mania. That's all I was saying. That's, that's the tagline <laughs> about you know when they do the movie quotes. Not as bad as Quantum Mania. My, my pool quote that they will never use. <laughs> so yeah, yeah. I don't know what it is about this phase, but I just have it's no not... real desire to watch. Like I, st- I like you. You mentioned Thor: Love and Thunder. I haven't it's... watched it yet, and it's don't, been on streaming. Don't, for don't a bother. While, but... I. Obviously, I'm going to see uh, the Marvels because of Park Sojun. But um, yeah, I, other than that, other than seeing him, I don't know how excited. Like, if I didn't get free screenings, then I don't know if I would see a Marvel movie again and pay for it. So <laughs> I didn't say that. Um, anyway, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> Marvin, what's popping with you? 
All right. So as I mentioned, I we did our it's it was our delayed wedding reception. We got married last October, um, as you may have heard from this podcast. And then, you know, we decided to do a big gathering for friends and family um, this past weekend. And because of that, I didn't really have much time to engage in pop culture over the week. The only piece of pop culture that I actually had time to, um, I guess, read was our April book club pick for Books and Boba, which is Vera Wong's Unsolicited Advice for Murderers uh, by Jesse Q. Sutanto, um, which I guess at this point, if you follow Books and Boba, you'll be hearing my discussion of this book with my co-host Rira tomorrow on Friday. But I guess you can call this a sneak peek because I really dug this book. This was a really great, like, I don't know if you guys have read Jesse Q. Sutanto's past books, um, Dal A for Aunties and For Aunties and a, and a Wedding. Um, but she's the pro at writing like you know how like there's cringe fiction which is like oh i'm reliving my like youth and i'm cringing um jesse houston tondo specializes in auntie cringe which is the visceral reaction you get when being lectured or criticized by like the many aunties in your life she Um, does it so well (laughs) i have to say that like it was giving me yes those like i was like oh no i don't know if i can get through this book but it was so well done and that's why i'm excited for it to be you know adapted yeah (laughs) that'll be more fun to watch so in case you forgot vera wong's unsolicited advice for murderers is about vera wong who runs a tea store in san francisco chinatown um that's been kind of struggling she's a widow she lives by herself and one day she wakes up to find a dead body in her tea shop clutching <gasps> a USB drive. Oh, and no. so what does she do? She takes a USB drive and tries to solve the murder because in her eyes, the police don't know what they're doing because they're not dusting for prints. They're not sending in CSI teams. So obviously they're incompetent. So it takes an auntie with her auntie observational skills to solve this murder. And so it, the the story follows her as she gathers her suspects and inadvertently kind of creates a uh, found family of her suspects all in her effort to um, to solve this mystery. So um, it's a really fun book. It's actually more heartwarming um, than anything. It's not mm. the central story is about the murder mystery, but the true heart is as with many of Jesse Hugh Sutanto's books is you can't really help aunties being aunties, but you can appreciate the, that they, it all comes from a place of love. Yeah, that's for sure. Um, I, I feel like that was one thing I got. I only saw read the first book in the uh, Dalai for aunties. And um, I was just like, this is not a rom-com. But I was like, yes, this is definitely a family um, comedy. Yeah. <laughs> and the, all the aunties have their specific things, which I thought was well done. Um, but... So yeah, I'm I'm willing to see read a book that is more heartwarming. Yeah, and well, I mean, this book is one auntie who encompasses all the aunties uh-huh. that you've ever known in your life. And while Dolly for aunties, one of my main criticisms was that there was no auntie catharsis. Like <laughs> aunties are just like a force of nature, but you don't really have that like auntie confrontation. Um, this book, Vera Wong, does have an auntie catharsis scene, which is very, very cathartic. Because I think, like I mentioned, reading aunties being like reading someone being like the ultimate auntie, there is that visceral reaction to it that like you just want some like some release. And this book does provide that towards the end, which I think I really appreciated. I know I'm built different because I would merely not take the usb and be like that's fine 
I'm not getting involved. That's what my aunties <laughs> taught me. Oh, that's interesting. Just you, not a meddlesome auntie. No, well, my family is very much like don't 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 get involved in other people's business. That's not your problem. Like keep it moving, you know. And it served us well. We made it through communism, Marvin. Yeah. So yeah, um, Vera wants unsolicited advice for murderers. Um, it's out. Um, it's available now, and um, definitely tune into our books and bubble episode um, this week to listen to more of my thoughts about this story. Um, that's what's popping for this week. Before we get to polite society, though, um, let's check in with our Top Chef podcast within the podcast. Go. Asian, where we recap the latest season of Top Chef um, until there are no Asians left to root for. Um, so full disclosure, like I mentioned, this week was the week of my reception, and I ha- actually didn't get to watch this past episode. But I, I'm committed to this bit, so I will let you talk about this episode and i'm gonna watch it anyways but um i I don't mind if you spoil it for me but as i understand it this um the challenge this past week was the mise en place relay challenge yes but it was also fast and the furious theme (laughs) the tie-in was hilarious they made us watch the chefs watch the trailer for fast 10 um, we learned Victoire is a big Di- Vin Diesel fan because <laughs> oh, no. uh, he transcends, you know, culture and and religion and and everything. Because because Dominic Toretto is is my religion, uh, is my god. Um, but yeah, it was really fun. It was like, uh, you know, I I love mise en place race. It's my favorite quick fire, and they made it a freaking elimination challenge, which is kind of mean. It was. <laughs> I, I honestly was maybe too caught up in it because it g- gave me lots of anxiety, actually. I think I would have preferred it to be a quick fire. But uh, d- that doesn't mean that um, I don't think it was an effective elimination. It was actually very challenging. Um, and so, like, one of the things about the three rounds or relay rounds is that, you know, it, whatever team, you know, won first, they got to pick of the three different ingredients. And so uh, Buddha's team won twice in a row. And so they're hoarding like proteins. A strategy, uh, which yeah, I respect. It was a, yes, it was a strategy for sure. Um, but the funny thing, what I liked about it was that the team that got stuck with no proteins ended up winning um, because they just, because they are top chefs. They were incredibly imaginative and innovative with their foods. Um, so yeah, good for them. Yeah, Sadly, and also a great yeah. episode for Gabri too. Um, yes. Just being very, very spunky and being like, "You gave a Mexican an avocado, like that's on you." <laughs> yes, exactly. <laughs> um, I can see that. I can see Gabri having that that hung um, energy from like season was it season three when he like yeah. killed the mise en place relay. Yeah, yeah. Um, I think it was uh, who was I think it was is Sarah the one from. The white lady from Kentucky. I never yes. remember her name. So she she was like a f- Frenching in those lamb chops, like with the sp- speed, like to the point where people were like, how the hell did you do that? <laughs> um, so that was impressive. Yeah. Uh, yeah. <laughs> oh, and Capri was very good with, what was it? Did Was it the fish prickly that he pear. did? Prickly pear. Yeah. yeah. So. Well, okay. So I got to ask then. Did we lose any Asians? Uh, we did. We oh, did no. lose an Asian. So Shabriel got eliminated. Char- Charbel. Yeah. Charbel. 
but he knocks out Dale in Last Chance Kitchen. So oh, he's still in the running. Okay. <laughs> Wait, I and thought also, you don't watch Last Chance Kitchen. I don't. I just look it up because I'm too lazy. <laughs> I'm sorry. Yeah. I'm not I'm not gonna go watch a whole other show on a different platform, but I will go. Yeah. Like ten minutes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. No, I agree. That's even more than I will. You do. want me I'm very I'm very proud. You want me to understand it. You put it in the main content, okay? Yes, exactly. <laughs> or or run it right before the the uh following episode. Something. Anyway. <laughs> but then who will subscribe to Peacock? I mean, they well, got me when they made Olympics. me want to watch Poker Face. So, uh, yeah, Poker Face so was good. I'm still there right now. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. There's still it's a few restaurant left. week this week, right? That's, that's yes. the. Episode. Oh, my God. Restaurant Wars. It's going to be so fun because it's always more fun when everyone's done Restaurant Wars before because they you don't get mm-hmm. the initial pitfalls, you get like level 2.0 pitfalls. Right, like the you first get the, one. I did this last time, so I'm gonna do the opposite, and I still fuck up. Yeah, or like, or like, I know better because, like, because like two people's last time problems are like diametrically opposed, or something like that. Like, just by the way the team works, or so. Like, yeah, I love Restaurant Wars. I still think that's that's like the real wild card, right? Like, that's when you're like some of the best people go home. So I'm excited to see, and it looks the edit was good, the trailer edit was good. It looks very tense. Can't wait. Yeah, excited for that. Um, Go Asian continues. We have three Asians left. Who do we have? We have Buddha. We have Nicole. We have Ali. Ali. Well, Go Asian lives on for another week. Uh, We'll be back next time to chat about the restaurant wars. And I promise I'll definitely watch it this week. (sighs) All right. We're going to take a quick break. When we come back, we're talking about polite society. Stick around. We're still here and we're going strong. It's an exciting time in Asian America. There are more movies, TV shows, books, and music reflecting us than ever. But all of these represent just a small slice of Asian American culture and experiences. So what do we do? Tell more slices. Asian Americana is a show that explores these slices of distinctly Asian American culture and history. We've talked about how Chinese Americans built California's Sacramento Delta, the art scene turns gallery institution giant robot, a play that explores the lost Cambodian pop music of the 60s and 70s, and, of course, Boba, just to name a few stories. You can find Asian Americana at asianamericana.com or on your podcast app. Co-host the podcast Asians in Baseball alongside Naomi Ko and Scott Okamoto. Asians in Baseball is exactly what it sounds like. A podcast about the Asian and Asian Native Hawaiian Pacific Islander Americans in Major League Baseball. Every week we break down the highlights of what's going on with Asians in Baseball and then take a deeper dive into the Asian and Asian Americans past and present who have shaped baseball as it is today. Whether you're Kim Ang's number one fan or you've never even heard of Hideo Nomo, we've got something for everyone, especially for the Shohei Otani stands. Maybe too much for the Shohei Otani stands. Listen to Asians in Baseball wherever you get podcasts, part of the Potluck Podcast Collective. And welcome back to the Good Pop Culture Club. On this episode, we're talking about polite society. 
a British action comedy drama film that premiered at Sundance, uh, written and directed by Nida Manzor, making her feature film directorial debut. Uh, we last saw her work on her Peacock show, We Are Lady Parts. Um, this film stars Priya Kansara and Ritu Arya as sisters Rhea and Lena Khan, as well as Nimra Bucha as the evil auntie trying to steal Lena away from Rhea um, through an arranged marriage with her doctor son, Salim. Um, the film is a mashup of genres, including family drama, action adventure, action comedy. Mm-hmm. Um, Rhea is a aspiring, aspiring stunt woman and uses her stunt woman skills to save her sister Lena from, in her mind, this from what she believes is an unwanted marriage. As always, we'll start off with a relatively spoiler-free review of the film. But if you've, um, but if you've already watched *Polite Society*, stick around after the credits for our spoiler zone, where we'll undoubtedly talk about some of the more uh, spoilery twists from this film. But with that said, let's get started. Uh, what do we all think of *Polite Society*? So I watched it in a theater. But by myself, because I was the only one in theater, (laughs) which was kind of sad. I feel like this was such a high energy, fun Mm -hmm. movie. I would have loved to watch it with other folks um, who who got it. Mm -hmm. Um, I do feel like you almost have to have a prior knowledge of certain things to get like the full 100%. And I think if you don't know like the intersection of like Bollywood films and like it's still very enjoyable, but like it, it did really just hit that like intersection of my interests. (laughs) And then I walked out of it and I was like, Oh, this is like, what if like Quentin Tarantino wasn't annoying? Mm -hmm. Is this how it feels? (laughs) Or like, what if was Scott Pilgrim? What if if Edgar Wright didn't piss me off? Is is this what it feels like? Um, (laughs) Cause I had a really good time. And I thought it was such a, fun but didn't take itself too seriously like satirical commentary on like some of my favorite movies right like the and and i thought it had a really great feminist message at the center of it so i had a fantastic time would watch again with friends (laughs) yeah i definitely also watched this movie alone in the theater i had to drive 30 minutes away Mm. just to watch it um it was kind of like usually i can watch films even the, the smaller ones in the local theater but i think because this is like i don't know if it's it's limited release right right now yeah yeah um yeah i, I guess because it's limited release they release it in, in neighborhoods where they think people will watch it and apparently my community is not one of those places Aww. i had to drive to <laughs> some place where i guess south asians would live i don't know how they decided where to where to play these uh, but i actually had to drive back to our old hood just to watch this film. Wow. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it was five minutes away from me, which was nice. Um, but yeah, it is very weird watching a... It was also like really late on a Monday, and I was just like, oh, okay, yeah. I, I think I was the last one out of the theater. Um, yeah, but like, I did wish we, we saw it with not just people in general, but like with community people, because I feel like this is yeah. the type of film yeah. that would get people hyped. Like the whole entire... like It's definitely... It's like it's a YA film, right? The, the protagonist is like a teenage high school student. Um, I don't know what the high school equivalent in England is, like secondary school? Is that what I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. She's high school um, equivalent. Sounds <laughs> good enough for me. She's a teenager. Yeah, and definitely like everything in this, this film is heightened, right? Everything is just a little bit like... I would call it almost magical realism um, just because it's just everything is extra and it 
works because the main character, uh, Rhea, has an overactive imagination. Uh, and I think that it could have gotten really annoying, but it, it really worked. Yeah, I, I like the fact that it was very self-aware. Um, clearly, Nita Manzor loves pop culture and that not only played out in the sort of like genre bending stuff that we got but also just in the references and so like uh uh ria is you know a really big fan of this particular stunt woman and she keeps writing her because she wants to like maybe you know bend her ear or get some advice or whatever and so she's like i know you're probably busy doing a star war you know or and a i marvel just, yeah so i just was like that is how we talk about it with our friends you know um so i think just the very specificity of even the language and the way they joke with each other or how they like um make each other uh angry like the sister's fighting uh, i love that there's like even mini heists in this movie mm-hmm, uh, mm-hmm. with ridiculous costuming uh it was just she just knows her tone so well and i like that the you know folks features like basically let her go with that because um if you haven't already watched it uh watch the series we are lady parts on peacock so another reason to get peacock um it's it's like a six episode series about an all Muslim um, punk band with women punk punk band. Um, And it's hilarious. Like one of their songs that they write is uh, Voldemort under my headscarf. And that's just, (laughs) that's just an example of the lyrics and you get to actually hear them sing the stuff. It is so good. Um, That's probably even more like um, irreverent than this, but yeah, I, I was fell in love with that show. And so I was like, well, this movie has to be good. So uh, I just get down with this. I enjoy it. Yeah. I mean, I did like that. Um, the film kind of subverts. Usually it's like the main character who wants to be creative as like an artist or like, a, like we are lady parts, like a musician. But in this film, Rhea really just wants to be a stunt woman. She wants to do Kung Fu in movies, kick butt and like jump around. And then like her dream is to like land this, very specific spin kick and we can call it Chekhov spin kick because it comes into play later <laughs> in the film. We know um, that. Yeah. And yeah, I thought that was really a really interesting way to set up like the action wuxia conceit of like of the film as well. Yeah, I mean, we're mixing that. We're mixing, you know, the that that trope of arranged marriage and how that becomes like the big bad in this movie, this arranged consensual arranged marriage. Um, but it, it gave me vibes of even like little women like this, uh, specifically because of the relationship the between sisters. the sisters, which I thought was fantastic. Um, that always gets me because I am a younger sister. I related a lot to Rhea. I'm kind of the more rebellious, loud one. And my sister is more of the like maybe makes bad choices in the men she dates <laughs> one. <laughs> um, so, yeah, definitely related to that. And just just the portrayal of this family which i think avoided a lot of stereotypes but was still realistic and like because i also think sometimes when like the parents are too cool you're like no parent is that cool with their kid being like that un you know like like the the family just seems so in a good way messy and lived in the sisters are messy i particularly love how until the wedding actual wedding scene like ria's hair is just always messy (laughs) <laughs> like it's just such like teenage girl energy like mm-hmm. she has bigger things to worry about and just you know like the the, the cool once cool artsy older sister like spiraling and like eating a chicken on the street 
Yeah. Um, like they're just such messy, real funny characters and the way they interact with each other. Even the parents are really charming. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, you you understand where mom is coming from. She has some of those traditional views, but like it still obviously just wants her kids to be happy. Um, you know, dad's dad's a little quirky too, uses a lot of finance language to talk to his kids because that's mm-hmm. all he he that's all he knows how to do. And yeah, I just thought the family at the core of it, the relationship at the core of it, the love for her sister at the core of this movie is what makes all the other grounds, all the craziness and makes it ultimately work. Yeah. And Nima Bucha is like evil auntie. Um, Le- She's Lakeisha? the best evil auntie. <laughs> yeah. Oh my God. Just, I, I just, sorry. Oh, so I just like the the musical stings that would come up whenever she would say something or she'd arrive or something would happen because that's the other sort of genre that sort of sneaked in. Because remember when we first watched this trailer and we were like, I don't know what's going on. Are they vampires? I don't know. I'm just down for it. And that is actually part of the mystery of yeah, this whole like, thing. There's something sinister going on with this rich auntie. <laughs> it's kind of like parasite vibes where it's like these rich people are too like... They're too creepy. Yeah. Like there's something going on underneath the surface. And like this film is like, what if that was true? And and she does such a funny way of, you know, just calling out that weird emotional incest, like mama's boy relationship. (laughs) We see a lot in like Mm -hmm. Asian communities. Right. And it's, everything's just so heightened, but it's heightened in the way the satire needs to be heightened, but it's punching in the right direction. Oh, yeah. yeah. I think every take she has <laughs> punching in the right direction, literally when, and figuratively. Yeah. When things are finally revealed, you're like, oh, this makes so much sense. And that's awesome. Does uh, it, though? I mean, that's a, that's a different enough. conversation. <laughs> I feel sense. like, you know, um, for me, this film was a lot of fun, but it also confused me so much. Um, like, because maybe, <laughs> maybe this is me aging out of like the the age where I can relate to YA protagonists as much because like I did feel like for a while I was convinced this was a Tyler Durden situation. Like this is all in her head and that was going to be the big reveal. And you know, the film ends up playing everything straight, which was also kind of a wild direction to go into. Like I kind of like that decision. (laughs) I think that movies in the last few years have just taken themselves so seriously. Like I don't think things need to be like, super realistic um so like i don't know i got as soon as like she's doing those like wuxia kicks in the beginning i'm like okay i i understand what kind of movie we're watching yeah um and you know it just continues to escalate i mean the Um, moment she fights her like high school not even bully like rival and you have the shaw versus khan kovach was that her name kovacs kovacs versus (laughs) khan yeah and like they're just like slamming into you know slamming each other into the walls and through like China yeah cabinets. you have these like high school girls doing like power like power wrestling moves but I love it because I think like girls are most a lot of times in media or perceived by a patriarchal system to be like delicate or like you know we're supposed to fight in catty ways or like more passive ways but I was like no they're just fighting and it, i don't know if you han you have two brothers marvin you're a man and you only have a brother but like yeah the most vicious fights you will ever get to, into in your <laughs> life are with your sister oh yeah if i had a sister we would not one one of us would not be alive yeah yeah i've like punched my sister was a little mm-hmm. too nice slash to fight back but like yeah like i've punched i've stripped just punched my sister 
And like that is probably the only person in the world you could get away with just punching and like still have a close, healthy relationship with. You can't punch anyone else. Yeah. Apparently, you know, Little Women says you can even burn one person's manuscript, which I don't think is appropriate. I um, would rather be punched <laughs> than someone burning my manuscript. Oh, yes. <laughs> oh, yeah. I still cannot forgive Amy but, for but that. But it did. Yes. I mean, oh, my God. And and as much as I love Florence, Pew, Florence Pugh really did a lot of rehab for Amy. Yes. Um, yes. I will say. So props to her. But yeah, it, it really did remind me of Little Women. Like the. In. And. Just, just this feeling of like that freedom you're striving for as a young woman before the world comes in and tells you what you can or can't do. And I feel like a lot of this movie, through both Lena and Rhea, were exploring that in a very fun, heightened, genre-bending way. And, mm-hmm. um, you know, when when are we doing... Are and we, also, we're doing spoiler-free, right? Yeah. yeah, let's do spoiler-free till the yeah. end. And also just a critique on like you know, arranged marriages slash like what the marriage market actually looks for in mm-hmm. a yes in a bride. It's yeah, or the value of like the the woman of a wife, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, like I'm just like oh, like you're just spelling it out. <laughs> I did like the fight between um, Rhea and Lena in the film, and that was the moment where I realized where I know Rita Aria from. Like she was in the Umbrella Academy, and I was like oh. Mm, I see. I spent the entire film trying to figure out where I knew her from. Her face I, looks so familiar. You know, you know what I liked was um so Rhea has a big dance number for her sister's wedding and the choreography in that was also tweaked so it looks also like fight choreography. So it was just really good like she does the little Bruce Lee like come here sort of you know, gesture at the end. Uh, yeah, there's just so many little details that are just enjoyable if you uh, catch if you catch them all. I also I don't know the production budget for this one. It, it looked like a expensive movie, and if it wasn't yeah. expensive, they just made really good creative choices. Like I thought mm-hmm. the production design was really fun, just like that colorful world. I would live in that mansion, <laughs> um, even if it did have you know nefarious things. In I the would basement. live in any mansion, to be honest, any place with like although. I don't know if I can afford to because those places require like even in the film, it, like they require a staff, which was actually pretty fun to see. Like all the staff members in this mansion were all like white people. White. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> also, also just like, you know, a few more like funny coming of age moments. Like when she's trying to set up Salim, her sister's fiance and like feeling like, fake condoms she just put so much she put <laughs> so much lotion in the cup like girl girl there's not that much cum there's not that much cum please it's so less good. lotion less lotion it is yeah. so it's such a great moment um han as a connoisseur of kung fu wuxia martial arts films how, how were the fight scenes for you it was fine it because it's highly stylized and it also had to fit the comedy of the movie i don't know if i would say the fighting is as great as a film yes. like you know you you kind of just know that the the feel the nods are there so like the 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 height she gets is definitely you know and the air she gets is way longer than she should be um getting and so it's it's fine but it is not the same level as obviously an traditional martial arts film so um also, but like those yeah. dresses must have been a pain in the 
ass to like do any fight choreo in like just so heavy and like they full prob- of beads <laughs> they probably had to use different materials especially stuff that had like some lycra stretcher in it um because there's no way those seams and those fabrics would have been able to like even rotate your arm that much so um i yeah i'm uh, that was the other thing i was like yeah. oh i would love to talk to a costumer um yeah. about this but uh yeah, yeah so like i when i when i eloped i wore a dress that had very limited arm movement i couldn't even put my seatbelt on Oh, like God. I had, to, I needed someone like pull it for me, and I'm like, oh yeah, there you can't, you can't do, you can't get air in that beaded dress. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But speaking of fashions, um, it it did make me a little sad just thinking about how movies like this is probably the closest I'll ever get personally to going to a Desi wedding. Uh, um, yeah, I I would love to attend one and I haven't yet. And I don't know. I feel like I just need to make more friends. Some of them got to get married <laughs> at some point. Some, yeah, it's very, a very specific. I need to make friends with <laughs> single or or friends who are about to get married. So that maybe don't lead me. with that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, they don't need to know. I, ha- I have my ulterior motive. Uh, <laughs> well, I guess um, before we wrap up our regular discussion and move on to our spoiler zone i guess we should ask ourselves is polite society good pop yes i would love more creative original movies that put a spin on you know take take those traditional stories that you know our community usually gets to tell a step further because this is just so much more like in your face than i think a lot of the films we've been getting in the past few years. Um, so m- more of that, more of that and more, more fun things. Like I'm just like, I, I like having fun at the movies. Like, and I, I'm so glad this just isn't like trauma porn. I'm so tired of trauma porn. I'm sorry. I don't need one more story about an immigrant family struggling in America. Unless the immigrant want, family kicks the butt of their oppressors. I want Kung Fu. I want to be the fury. <laughs> so um yes more please uh yes i like this so much it was so enjoyable and and don't be like us don't watch it alone go bring other people with you because that's another thing it's also a family film so bring all your elders too <laughs> and your kids i think it's appropriate. yeah i feel like it's a really Ish. great film for <laughs> younger audiences too because it did have the feel of like a like maybe not a Goonies per se, but a Goonies adjacent. Like it was about a group of young friends going off on an adventure to rescue a sister from an evil mother-in-law um, with like with like tons of over-the-top action scenes and special effects. Um, I definitely thought this was really great pop. I had a lot of fun. And yeah, definitely wish I had seen this with just... We should have just gone together, the three of us. But yeah. it was a busy weekend, Marvin. You were getting married. <laughs> yeah, there was. I had to even. I had another appointment on Sunday, and so I had to even squeeze this in before that. So it yeah. was. It was tough. Yeah, definitely go with a big group. Uh, it will be worth it. Um, but I guess with that, um, that'll do it for our regular discussion of polite society. Stick around for our spoiler zone. But before we get there. Um, Jess Hanna, people want to find out more of your thoughts. Where can they go? I'm on Twitter at Jess You Tweets. Um, I'm also on Twitter at Anonymous, but I don't know. Maybe I'll segue to, I mean, like transition to my Instagram. Same handle. 
what's blue sky? I've been hearing things I, about this blue sky. I, which... I, I'll I'll check it out. We haven't all all the journalists haven't like landed on it yet, but we're sort of nosing around and seeing if it's worth it. It feels like a terrible name for a social media platform. Yeah. It sounds it's like very... the U- it's the USA Network. <laughs> it just feels so. Like, I'm I'm a late speak. adopter to everything, so y'all tell me when I need to move over. <laughs> All right. Well, you can find me on Twitter at Marvin. You can find our show at Good Pop Club. We are still a proud member of the Potluck Podcast Collective, a collective of Asian American hosted podcasts. You can check out all our shows by going to podcastpotluck.com. Um, and I guess that'll do it for our first episode of our month, um, APAM 2023. Um, Jess Han, congratulations on existing. Our month, our month, our <laughs> month. And uh, we'll see you all next time. Bye, everybody. Bye. Bye. Hey, Brian. Did you go to Saturday school as a kid? I sure did. Did you? Totally. Well, at our podcast, Saturday School, we don't teach a language, but we pass along the culture that we do know. And that's Asian American pop culture. Ada is a journalist, and I'm a professor and film festival programmer. We've watched a lot of great Asian American movies, and we want you to watch them too. Come listen to us as we look back at the pioneering films that have led us to today. All right, welcome to the Good pop spoiler zone for polite society. Um, for the next, um, I guess, ten to twenty minutes, we'll be discussing polite society in all its entirety, um, specifically the spoilery parts that we can talk to about in our regular discussion. And um, I guess there's a there's some twists in this film, and I'm curious where you want to start, Jess. Um, I mean, let's go with her trying to clone herself and impregnate her. And, and be carried by her son's wife? Yeah. Okay. You want to so, start there? <laughs> I spent the entire film, like I mentioned, ex- like kind of half expecting a Tyler Durden moment where like this was all just in Rhea's head. And like it's all just like a a result of her overactive imagination coming up with this nefarious plot. Only to be kind of caught dumbfounded that it was the actual plot that there was like this eugenicist like cloning experiment was actually what's happening i was i was quite surprised to be honest i i love that part because i think it was so um it, you know we we dip into elements being a genre of bending we dip into elements of horror and like thriller it's very get outish and this like crazy you know it, it's kind of taking that social commentary to its most extreme so that actually worked for me. Um, maybe it's also because like that's my greatest fear as well to be reduced down to like my reproductive parts. <laughs> I think that's a lot of women's fears right now. So yeah. that just really hit. Um, and and <laughs> the fact that it's because it did make sense to me because I was also wondering like why would he be into her? Like she is a art school dropout. So like it, in a way that almost made more sense to me. I mean, yeah. Why his, you know, they were so down, why they specifically wanted her. Yeah. I mean, for me, I guess I was on a different wavelength. I thought this was going to be a film about like um, letting go and accepting your sister and like 
accepting arranged marriage as something that isn't like super vilified. Um, not what movie were you watching? Yeah, and when when the twist came, I was like, oh no, this is a movie about how Asian mothers love their sons too much. Yeah, I mean, it's two things. Because the arranged marriage thing, um, it's not really the arranged marriage that they're critiquing, but more of the values that they put on how they pick a woman. And fertility is definitely one of them. Um, So this is just to the extreme where they basically, I love the fact that at their party, they basically scan every woman, young woman, older woman, um, in order to figure out like, their uterine and like fallopian like strength uh, yeah yeah it was just so gross um they also like took their uh the drinking vessels in order to get their dna and so it was like a high-tech sort of like way of spying on people's reproductive systems which was so totally gross um but not terribly far off when you think about like how all these apps um, are used to track people's fertility um, and menstruation. And those things can be used against women also when it comes to uh, birth control and stuff like that. So it's, it's, it's just a funny way to do it. Um, And then of course, yes, the, the patriarchal sort of uh, doting on your son to the point where your son is also okay with having his mom cloned in his wife's body i, I just i don't even know what to do it's with wild that. though but we, we we probably know some dudes who, who would be, be yeah cool let's that. do it yeah well, for me it was also more about like especially since like you know i just got married um it's just really interesting Re- regardless of how you personally feel or like even independent of your relationship just like how much value society gives you when you are getting married. And like, I've had people who have not talked to for years, just come out of the woodwork and be like, congratulations, which is very kind, but it's also just like, Oh, like Mm -hmm. now I exist. There's no other life milestone where people, like if you got a new job, people wouldn't be like, congratulations. Um, necessarily right or like if you bought a house you know there's it, it, it is still a patriarchal society where like marriage is that's when you so get valued. valued when you're a woman and when i don't know marvin you just you're a newly married man like and in like my day-to-day my life has not changed at all but i've already had to encounter some like passive aggressive i've definitely had like, some <laughs> comments on instagram along the lines of wish i could have been there two pictures i mean of that, my that's wedding. the wedding though that's the wedding like i'm talking about like marriage and yeah. how like marriage is just seen as like the ultimate goal for a woman goal for a woman regardless of everything else she's done and who she is as a person like the the title of bride supersedes everything and that's i mean oftentimes the easiest thing to do like get so like you know choose to marry someone don't you want to be mr chua oh <laughs> Miss Chua. Sorry. Oh, God. Absolutely not. And I am happily married. I think we have a very egalitarian relationship, all things considered, for, you know, a heterosexual couple. Um, But I'm just like, yeah, it's weird. I'm just like, I've I've done other things. (laughs) I've done other things. I'm a pretty cool person, Um, you know, and I I feel very, I still very much feel like myself, just in Mm -hmm. a different legal status. 
um, that has no effect on other people's lives, but like helps me with my taxes. Um, <laughs> yeah, it's just a weird like, and, and I think because like so many South Asian movies are about marriage and so many female led movies are about marriage and so many mm-hmm. rom-coms are, it's always the ultimate happy ending goal. And this is again, like I mentioned before the, that's, this is the big bad marriage is the big bad. And she's so, I don't know. It just really resonated with me where, where she was like, she's like, you are like you have so many dreams and you were supposed to be an artist and that was supposed to be stunt woman. And like, we're going to let them win. Like we're going to let the patriarchy win and just be married and move with her husband wherever he needs to go. Like what the fuck gal? Yeah. Cause wasn't he going to like Singapore? Singapore. Yeah. Which nothing against Singapore, but it's just more so of hot. like, it's, it's not close to, England, which is where they live. So yeah, and that that's also nefarious, right? Because like we kind of like you know when you, I don't know, I don't again, I don't know what men are think about or taught, but like women, like you, whether or not you are have ever experienced this yourself, like if you have good people in your life, they teach you the signs of red flags or signs of abusive mar- like relationships. One of them is like removing you far from your support system or your family. And I was just like, oh, I'm just like all these red flags, man. Mm-mm, this is too good. This is too good. <laughs> What's wrong? So I, I smelled. I'm like, mm, no, no, no. We can't be married here. That's not the point of this movie. Yeah. I so, say this as a very happily married woman. Yeah, yeah. 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 That's the thing. We are not anti-marriage here. It's it's just more of the things that some are tied up with marriage were definitely uh, highlighted in this movie. Well, um, I think especially in the case of like, you know, movies about South Asian mm-hmm. female protagonists. So like it, it's it's I think it's a much commentary about like the just the saturation of this kind of media as well. Yeah. Like as much as I love my K-dramas um, and, and the romances in them, I kind of it kind of ruins it for me when a wedding is the end goal. Um, I would rather like what uh, I would rather them, you know, like just fall in love and kind of just deal with stuff by the end. Uh, probably one of my favorite ones talks about marriage as a renewable contract every year. And so they switch it up. And I like that idea better than just like the blanket. Now you are part <laughs> of my family and you have to help out my parents and do this. Um, there's no choice. So I, I think there are ways that um, that she examined it in in that was different from the usual way uh yes it was a satire but actually looking at it in in the aspect of her body her her body was treated as a vessel they actually talk about it like that and that's kind of what it is sometimes especially when you're talking about oh we need an heir we need to like have someone to pass down you know the, the pass down the line and um so yeah she was she was picked out like breeding stock yeah. Mm-hmm. I mean, if it was just like a, oh, let's, you get to marry a hot doctor and get to live your life in leisure, I guess it would have been okay. That, that was part of like, I hate that. Not that I hate about it, but like, I did chuckle when Rhea was accusing, um, was accusing um, Lena of being like an Austin character marrying for, <laughs> for her, for money. <laughs> yeah, that was perfect. It, it, because that reference, works for every rom-com but also specifically in england yeah and i was like oh no i totally got that joke what's happening (laughs) yeah 
he is the Darcy. Uh, he's kind of set up to be the Darcy, you know, in that everyone seems to want him. He's highly, you know, valued because not only <clears throat> is he rich, but he is also a doctor um, saving babies. And apparently, <laughs> I will admit, baby clones. Them pointing out that he's a geneticist should have been like. <laughs> A red flag, like, or at least a Chekhov's, like, this guy's evil, right? Yeah. yeah. It was just more of a All matter of what. All I needed to see was his relationship with his mom, okay? I, you know. <laughs> Would you ever sit in your mom's lap watching TV, Marvin? He Okay, he wasn't sitting in her lap. He had his head in Sorry, her lap. He had his head in her lap. Which is just... While she... When you're an adult... Since I was 10, Right. Maybe, when you're right? an adult, you don't do that anymore. Uh, that was just yeah. so weird. When I was watching them watch it, I was like, no. I, it's such little touches like that. That was like, oh, I feel so, oh, it's so gross. <laughs> so. <laughs> um, any favorite bits you guys want to talk about? Oh, oh my God. I love the um, waxing as torture. Another great feminist commentary about how, you know, the shit we put ourselves through to conform to patriarchal beauty standards. And I say that's someone who waxes, not my legs, because I don't really have a lot of leg hair. But yeah, like I've threaded my whole face for why. That was a pretty sinister scene. Like it's like one of those James Bond laser torture scenes, except, yeah. you know, you're being held down by masseuses. Waxers. waxers. Yeah. I, you know, sometimes I, I have gotten like bikini waxes before. And like, I'm just like, I cannot believe I'm paying someone a lot of money, by the way, to do this to me. I, You're just like, are you fucking kidding me? What the fuck? Yeah, I don't, I don't do the waxing. Um, I like the double heist. The first one is with the laptop, and I like the fact that it also included cross dressing. Um, that is a, f- a favorite trope of mine in any sort of movie is when women pretend they're men, um, and rather unconvincingly. Uh, and then the, of course the second heist is to lift her sister basically from the wedding. <laughs> I will and then say, it, where are these girls getting their earpieces? Like, is that just you just that buy matter? that from the local like British Wait, Walmart? Like, so that's where you're like trying to. Add, that, that's where he's hung <laughs> up. Not the chloroform. Not the. This the, is the all fly suspension. Kung fu. I'm yeah, just saying that's, this is this. they had some like pretty high tech earpieces. I mean, that's like that's not like I'm using my AirPods. This is like I'm actually using Spycraft. You know what I figure is this is that Rhea is really into all aspects of filmmaking, so she probably has a source. I did like that the um they had a good old like enemies to friends storyline yes. with, with the with the well, rich bully girl. It, it just like a classic Fast and the Furious heist movie, you know, your enemy becomes part of the family. Mm, nice, nice. I like that. They did escape in the car. Yes. Yeah. Driving very, very slowly. I'm like, <laughs> girl, you need to. You trying to escape? Let's let's speed it up. What did you guys think of like the last ten minutes? Though I kind of felt like it dragged a little right after the the climactic fight. Let's see. They ate. Well, at, at first, well, they had their heartfelt what, conversation in a in the car in front of a green mm-hmm. screen, and then they had their burger in the diner, and then they had like the the reply from the stunt woman. Yeah, I mean, I think it was fine. Maybe maybe it wasn't quite as high energy, or maybe it needed maybe a bit more of a button on it. But I was fine with it. Like I did, it didn't let me down in any way. Uh, I think I kind of needed to come down from the energy of the fight. So, yeah. um, I, I think it also made sense to kind of bring it back to the just the sisters being sisters um and then you get the great line from 
the stunt woman saying that she was doing a marvel which i mm-hmm. appreciated so. i love britishisms like yes. a marvel yes. um I'm, I'm eating a chinese and yeah some some of them work better than others yes. obviously but yes yeah so i guess that'll do it for our polite society spoiler zone uh, thanks everybody for sticking around and uh yeah happy asian pacific american heritage month um we'll see y'all next time bye everybody right. bye bye